0: Section One of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Quinn. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Baring Gould. Section One. Jean Bouchon. I was in Orleans a good many years ago. At the time it was my purpose to write a life of Joan of Arc, and I considered it advisable to visit the scenes of her exploits so as to be able to give to my narrative some local colour. But I did not find Orléans answer to my expectations. It is a dull town, very modern in appearance, but with that measly and decrepit look which is so general in French towns. There was a Place Jeanne d'Arc, with an equestrian statue of her in the midst, flourishing a banner. There was the house that the maid had occupied after the taking of the city, but, with the exception of the walls and rafters, It had undergone so much alteration and modernization as to have lost its interest. A museum of memorials of La Pucelle had been formed, but possessed no genuine relics, only arms and tapestries of a later date. The city wall she had besieged, the gate through which she had burst, had been leveled, and their places taken by boulevards. The very cathedral in which she had knelt to return thanks for her victory was not the same. That had been blown up by the Huguenots and the cathedral that now stands was erected on its ruins in 1601. There was an ormolu figure of Jeanne on the clock, never wound up, upon the mantel-shelf in my room at the hotel, and there were chocolate fingers of her in the confectioner's shop windows for children to suck. When I sat down at 7 p.m. to Table d'hote at my inn, I was out of heart. The result of my exploration of sights had been unsatisfactory but I trusted on the morrow to be able to find material to serve my purpose in the municipal archives of the town library. My dinner ended, I sauntered to a café. That I selected opened onto the place, but there was a back entrance near to my hotel, leading through a long stone-paved passage at the back of the houses in the street, and by ascending three or four stone steps one entered the long, well-lighted café. I came into it from the back, by this means, and not from the front i took my place and called for a café cognac then i picked up a french paper and proceeded to read it all but the feuilleton in my experience i have never yet come across anyone who reads the feuilleton in a french paper and my impression is that these snippets of novel are printed solely for the purpose of filling up space and disguising the lack of news at the disposal of the editors the french papers borrow their information relative to foreign affairs largely from the english journals so that they are a day behind ours in the foreign news that they publish. Whilst I was engaged in reading, something caused me to look up, and I noticed, standing by the white marble-topped table on which was my coffee, a waiter, with a pale face and black whiskers, in an expectant attitude. I was a little nettled at his precipitancy in applying for payment, but I put it down to my being a total stranger there, and without a word I set down half a franc and a ten centime coin, the latter as his pourboire. Then I proceeded with my reading. I think a quarter of an hour had elapsed when I rose to depart, and then, to my surprise, I noticed the half-francs still on the table, but the sous-piece was gone. I beckoned to the waiter, and said, One of you came to me a little while ago demanding payment. I think he was somewhat hasty in pressing for it. However, I set the money down, and the fellow has taken the tip, and has neglected the charge for the coffee. Sapristi! exclaimed the garçon. "'Jean Bouchon has been at his tricks again.' I said nothing further, asked no questions. The matter did not concern me, or indeed interest me in the smallest degree, and I left. Next day I worked hard in the town library. I cannot say that I lighted on any unpublished documents that might serve my purpose. I had to go through the controversial literature relative to whether Jeanne d'Arc was burnt or not, for it has been maintained that a person of the same name and also of Arc died a natural death some time later, and who postured as the original warrior-maid. I read a good many monographs on the Pucelle, of various values, some real contributions to history, others mere second-hand cookings up of well-known and often-used material. The source in these latter was all that was new. In the evening, after dinner, I went back to the same café. And called for black coffee with a nip of brandy. I drank it leisurely and then retreated to the desk where I could write some letters. I had finished one and was folding it when I saw the same pale-visaged waiter standing by with his hand extended for payment. I put my hand into my pocket, pulled out a fifty centime piece and a coin of two sous, and placed both beside me near the man, and proceeded to put my letter in an envelope, which I then directed. Next, I wrote a second letter and that concluded I rose to go to one of the tables and to call for stamps, when I noticed that again the silver coin had been left untouched, but the copper piece had been taken away. I tapped for a waiter. "'Tiens,' said I, "'that fellow of yours has been bungling again. He has taken the tip and has left the half-franc.' "'Ah, Jean Bouchon, once more!' But who is Jean Bouchon?" The man shrugged his shoulders, and, instead of answering my query, said— I should recommend monsieur to refuse to pay jean bouchon again-that is, supposing monsieur intends revisiting this cafe. I most assuredly will not pay such a noodle, I said, and it passes my comprehension how you can keep such a fellow on your staff. I revisited the library next day, and then walked by the Loire, that rolls in winter such a full and turbid stream, and in summer, with a reduced flood, exposes gravel and sandbanks. I wandered around the town and endeavored vainly to picture it, enclosed by walls and drums of towers, when, on April twenty ninth, fourteen twenty nine, Jeanne threw herself into the town and forced the English to retire, discomfited and perplexed. In the evening I revisited the cafe and made my wants known as before. Then I looked at my notes and began to arrange them. Whilst thus engaged, I observed the waiter, named Jean Bouchon standing near the table in an expectant attitude as before. I now looked him full in the face and observed his countenance. He had puffy white cheeks, small black eyes, thick dark mutton-chop whiskers, and a broken nose. He was decidedly an ugly man, but not a man with a repulsive expression of face. "'No,' said I, "'I will give you nothing. I will not pay you. Send another garçon to me.' As I looked at him to see how he took this refusal, He seemed to fall back out of my range, or, to be more exact, the lines of his form and features became confused. It was much as though I had been gazing on a reflection in still water, that something had ruffled the surface and all was broken up and obliterated. I could see him no more. I was puzzled and a bit startled, and I wrapped my coffee-cup with a spoon to call the attention of a waiter. One sprang to me immediately. "'See,' said I, "'Jean Bouchon has been here again.' I told him that I would not pay him one sou, and he has vanished in a most perplexing manner. I do not see him in the room. No, he is not in the room. When he comes in again, send him to me. I want to have a word with him." The waiter looked confused, and replied, I do not think that Jean will return. How long has he been on your staff? Oh, he has not been on our staff for some years. Then why does he come here and ask for payment for coffee and what else one may order? He never takes payment for anything that has been consumed. He takes only the tips. But why do you permit him to do that? We cannot help ourselves. He should not be allowed to enter the café. No one can keep him out. This is surpassing strange. He has no right to the tips. You should communicate with the police. The waiter shook his head. They can do nothing. Jean Bouchon died in 1869. Died in 1869, I repeated. It is so. But he still comes here. He never pesters the old customers, the inhabitants of the town. Only visitors, strangers. Tell me all about him. Monsieur must pardon me now. We have many in the place, and I have my duties. In that case, I will drop in here tomorrow morning, when you are disengaged, and I will ask you to inform me about him. What is your name? At Monsieur's pleasure, Alphonse. Next morning in place of pursuing the traces of the Maid of Orléans I went to the café to hunt up Jean Bouchon. I found Alphonse with a duster wiping down the tables. I invited him to a table and made him sit down opposite me. I will give his story in substance only where advisable recording his exact words. Jean Bouchon had been a waiter at this particular café. Now in some of these establishments the attendants are wont to have a box into which they drop all the tips that are received, and at the end of the week it is opened, and the sum found in it is divided pro rata among the waiters, the head waiter receiving a larger portion than the others. This is not customary in all such places of refreshment, but it is in some, and it was so in this café. The average is pretty constant, except on special occasions, as when a fete occurs and the waiters know within a few francs what their perquisites will be. But in the café where served Jean Bouchon, the sum did not reach the weekly total that might have been anticipated, and after this deficit had been noted for a couple of months, the waiters were convinced that there was something wrong, somewhere or somehow. Either the common box was tampered with, or one of them did not put in his tips received. A watch was set, and it was discovered that Jean Bouchon was the defaulter. When he had received a gratuity, he went to the box and pretended to put in the coin, but no sound followed, as would have been the case had one been dropped in. There ensued, of course, a great commotion among the waiters when this was discovered. Jean Bouchon endeavoured to brave it out, but the patron was appealed to, the case stated, and he was dismissed. As he left by the back entrance one of the younger garçons put out his leg and tripped Bouchon up, so that he stumbled and fell headlong down the steps with a crash on the stone floor of the passage. He fell with such violence on his forehead, that he was taken up insensible. His bones were fractured, there was concussion of the brain, and he died within a few hours without recovering consciousness. We were all very sorry and greatly shocked, said Alphonse. We did not like the man. He had dealt dishonourably by us, but we wished him no ill, and our resentment was at an end when he was dead. The waiter who had tripped him up was arrested and was sent to prison for some months, but the accident was due to une mauvaise plaisanterie and no malice was in it so that the young fellow got off with a light sentence he afterwards married a widow with a café at viazon and is there i believe doing well chambouchon was buried continued alphonse and we waiters attended the funeral and held white kerchiefs to our eyes our head waiter even put a lemon into his that by squeezing it he might draw tears from his eyes we all subscribed for the interment that it should be dignified majestic as becomes a waiter And you mean to tell me that Jean Bouchon has haunted this café ever since?" "'Ever since 1869,' replied Alphonse. "'And there is no way of getting rid of him?' "'None at all, monsieur. One of the canons of Bourges came in here one evening. We did suppose that Jean Bouchon would not approach molest an ecclesiastic, but he did. He took his pourbois and left the rest, just as he treated monsieur.' "'Ah, monsieur! But Jean Bouchon did well in 1870 and 1871 when those pigs of Prussians were here in occupation. The officers came nightly to our café, and Jean Bouchon was greatly on the alert. He must have carried away half of the gratuities they offered. It was a sad loss to us." "'This is a very extraordinary story,' said I." "'But it is true,' replied Alphonse. Next day I left Orléans. I gave up the notion of writing the life of Joan of Arc as I found that there was absolutely no new material to be gleaned on her history, in fact she had been thrashed out. Years passed, and I had almost forgotten about Jean Bouchon, when the other day I was in Orléans once more, on my way south, and at once the whole story recurred to me. I went that evening to the same café. It had been smartened up since I was there before. There was more plate glass, more gilding, electric light had been introduced there were more mirrors, and there were also ornaments that had not been in the café before. I called for Café Cognac, and looked at a journal, but turned my eyes on one side occasionally, on the lookout for Jean Bouchon. But he did not put in an appearance. I waited for a quarter of an hour in expectation, but saw no sign of him. Presently I summoned a waiter, and when he came up I inquired, "'But where is Jean Bouchon?' "'Monsieur asks after Jean Bouchon?' The man looked surprised. ''Yes, I have seen him here previously. Where is he at present?'' ''Monsieur has seen Jean Bouchon?'' ''Monsieur perhaps knew him.'' ''He died in 1869.'' ''I know that he died in 1869, but I made his acquaintance in 1874. I saw him then thrice, and he accepted some small gratuities of me.'' ''Monsieur tipped Jean Bouchon?'' ''Yes, and Jean Bouchon accepted my tips.'' and Jean Bouchon died five years before. Yes, and what I want to know is how you have rid yourselves of Jean Bouchon, for that you have cleared the place of him is evident, or he would have been pestering me this evening. The man looked disconcerted and irresolute. Hold, said I, is Alphonse here? No, monsieur. Alphonse was left two or three years ago, and monsieur saw Jean Bouchon in 1874. I was not then here. I have been here only six years. "'but you can in all probability inform me "'of the manner of getting quit of Jean. "'Monsieur, I am very busy this evening, "'and there are so many gentlemen come in. "'I will give you five francs if you will tell me all, "'all succinctly about Jean Bouchon. "'Will monsieur be so good as to come here tomorrow "'during the morning, and then I place myself "'at the disposition of monsieur? "'I shall be here at eleven o'clock. "'At the appointed time I was at the café.' If there is an institution that looks ragged and dejected and dissipated, it is a café in the morning, when the chairs are turned upside down, the waiters are in aprons and shirt-sleeves, and a smell of stale tobacco lurks about the air, mixed with various other unpleasant odours. The waiter I had spoken to on the previous evening was looking out for me. I made him seat himself at a table with me. No one else was in the saloon except another garçon, who was dusting with a long feather brush. Monsieur, began the waiter, I will tell you the whole truth. The story is curious, and perhaps everyone would not believe it, but it is well documenté. Jean Bouchon was at one time in service here. We had a box. When I say we, I do not mean myself included, for I was not here at the time. I know about the common box. I know the story down to my visit to Orléans in 1874, when I saw the man. Monsieur has perhaps been informed that he was buried in the cemetery. I do know that, at the cost of his fellow-waiters. Well, monsieur, he was poor, and his fellow-waiters, though well-disposed, were not rich. So he did not have a grave en perpetuité, accordingly after many years, when the term of consignment was expired, and it might well be supposed that Jean Bouchon had mouldered away, his grave was cleared out to make room for a fresh occupant. Then a very remarkable discovery was made. It was found that his corroded coffin was crammed literally stuffed with five and ten centime pieces, and with them were also some German coins, no doubt received from those pigs of Prussians during the occupation of Orléans. This discovery was much talked about. Our proprietor of the café and the head waiter went to the mayor and represented to him how matters stood, that all this money had been filched during a series of years since 1869 from the waiters and our patron represented to him that it should in all propriety and justice be restored to us the mayor was a man of intelligence and heart and he quite accepted this view of the matter and ordered the surrender of the whole coffin-load of coins to us the waiters of the cafe. so you divided it amongst you pardon monsieur we did not it is true that the money might legitimately be regarded as belonging to us but then those defrauded or most of them had left long ago and there were among us some who had not been in service in the café more than a year or eighteen months. We could not trace the old waiters. Some were dead, some had married and left this part of the country. We were not a corporation. So we held a meeting to discuss what was to be done with the money. We feared, moreover, that unless the spirit of Jean Bouchon was satisfied, he might continue revisiting the café and go on sweeping away the tips. It was of paramount importance to please Jean Bouchon to lay out the money in such a manner as would commend itself to his feelings. One suggested one thing, one another. One proposed that the sum should be expended on masses for the repose of Jean's soul, but the head waiter objected to that. He said that he thought he knew the mind of Jean Bouchon, and that this would not commend itself to it. He said, did our head waiter, that he knew Jean Bouchon from head to heels, and he proposed that all the coins should be melted up and that out of them should be cast a statue of Jean Bouchon in bronze, to be set up here in the café, as there were not enough coins to make one large enough to be erected in a place. If monsieur will step with me he will see the statue. It is a superb work of art." He led the way, and I followed. In the midst of the café stood a pedestal, and on this basis a bronze figure about four feet high. It represented a man reeling backward, with a banner in his left hand and the right raised towards his brow as though he had been struck there by a bullet a sabre apparently fallen from his grasp lay at his feet i studied the face and it most assuredly was utterly unlike jean bouchon with his puffy cheeks mutton-chop whiskers and broken nose as i recalled him but said i the features do not pardon me at all resemble those of jean bouchon this might be the young augustus or napoleon the first The profile is quite Greek. It may be so, replied the waiter, but we had no photograph to go by. We had to allow the artist to exercise his genius, and above all, we had to gratify the spirit of Jean Bouchon. I see, but the attitude is inexact. Jean Bouchon fell down the steps headlong, and this represents a man staggering backwards. It would have been inartistic to have shown him precipitated forwards. Besides, the spirit of Jean might not have liked it quite so i understand but the flag that was an idea of the artist jean could not be made holding a coffee cup you will see the whole makes a superb subject art has its exigencies monsieur will see underneath is an inscription on the pedestal i stooped and with some astonishment read jean bouchon mort sur le champ de gloire eighteen seventy dulce et decorum est pro patria mori why objected i he died from falling a cropper in the back passage not on the field of glory monsieur all orleans is a field of glory under saint aignan did we not repel attila and his huns in 451 under jeanne d'arc did we not repulse the english monsieur will excuse the allusion in 1429 did we not recapture orleans from the germans in november 1870 that is all very true i broke in but jean Bouchon, neither fought against Attila, nor with La Pucelle, nor against the Prussians, then dulci et decorum est patria mori is rather strong, considering the facts. How? Does not Monsieur see that the sentiment is patriotic and magnificent? I admit that, but dispute the application. Then why apply it? The sentiment is all right. But by implication it refers to Jean Bouchon, who died, not for his country, but in a sordid coffee-house brawl. Then again, the date is wrong, Jean Bouchon died in 1869, not in 1870. That is only out by a year. Yes but with this mistake of a year, and with the quotation from Horace, and with the attitude given to the figure, anyone would suppose that Jean Bouchon had fallen in the retaking of Orléans from the Prussians? Ah Monsieur, who looks on a monument and expects to find thereon the literal truth relative to the deceased? this is something of a sacrifice to truth i demurred sacrifice is superb said the waiter there is nothing more noble more heroic than sacrifice but not the sacrifice of truth sacrifice is always sacrifice well said i unwilling further to dispute this is certainly a great creation out of nothing not out of nothing out of the coppers that jean bouchon had filched from us and which choked up his coffin jean bouchon has been seen no more no monsieur and yet yes once when the statue was unveiled our patron did that the café was crowded all our habitués were there the patron made a magnificent oration he drew a superb picture of the moral intellectual social and political merits of jean bouchon there was not a dry eye among the audience and the speaker choked with emotion then as we stood in a ring not too near We saw—I was there, and I distinctly saw—so did the others—Jean Bouchon, standing with his back to us, looking intently at the statue of himself. Monsieur, as he thus stood, I could discern his black mutton-chop whiskers projecting upon each side of his head. Well, sir, not one word was spoken. A dead silence fell upon all. Our patron ceased to speak, and wiped his eyes and blew his nose a sort of holy awe possessed us all. Then, after the lapse of some minutes, Jean Bouchon turned himself about, and we all saw his puffy pale cheeks, his thick sensual lips, his broken nose, his little pig's eyes. He was very unlike this idealised portrait in the statue. But what matters that? It gratified the deceased, and it injured no one. Well, monsieur, Jean Bouchon stood facing us, and he turned his head from one side to another, and gave us all what I may term a greasy smile. Then he lifted up his hands as though invoking a blessing on us all, and vanished. Since then he has not been seen. End of section one.